Today, I'm calling this word, If I Be Lifted Up. In Acts chapter 3, we saw that Peter and John had prayed for the healing of a well-known crippled man who used to beg daily at the gate of the temple. And he was now leaping about and praising God. A crowd of onlookers continued to grow with all of them standing about, amazed at the miracle that had occurred. And Peter was preaching to the growing crowd about the resurrection of Jesus. And so now we go into Acts chapter 4, verse 1. While they were still speaking to the people, Peter and John were there together. The priests and the temple captain and the Sadducees stormed in. They were offended and worked up that Peter was preaching to the people and teaching about the resurrection from the dead through Jesus. So they arrested Peter and John and put them in custody until the next day because it was now time for the evening watch in the temple. So that wasn't going to stop Peter. It goes on to say, however, many of the people had already heard the word being preached and about 5,000 people had now become believers. And that deserves not just a great amen, but a, a wow. Could you imagine the congestion there? You wouldn't be able to get into the temple. And there were the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection, by the way. And the high priest was a Sadducee too that year. And they were saying, you've got to stop this. But there's 5,000 people. So they arrested Peter and John. They were in custody. So there they were. But the next morning, the rulers and elders and scribes and Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and the family group of the high priests came together for a meeting at Jerusalem. They stood Peter and John before them and began to question them. They asked, by what power and under whose name or authority they had caused this healing. Peter was full of the anointing of the Holy Spirit and he said, all you rulers and elders of Israel, if this is some investigation into what caused this wonderful thing to happen to this weak and crippled man, I want to inform you all, and indeed all the people of Israel, there's 5,000 people still hanging around, that this man, stands before you totally healed today through the power and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised up from the dead. Salvation comes through no other person or through any other name under heaven. Through him alone are we saved. When they saw the fearless confidence of Peter and John, who were ordinary looking men, obviously uneducated, they were astonished. They recognised them as being among the disciples of Jesus and there was nothing left for them to say. However, when they dismissed them under the guards from the council room, they began to discuss the matter among themselves. And they said to one another, what are we to do with these men? It's obvious to everybody in Jerusalem that an undeniable miracle has occurred. But we cannot let this spread any further amongst the people. So he had better warn them severely that they're absolutely forbidden to speak to anybody in that name. So they call Peter and John back in again. 
And they forbade them to say anything to anybody or to teach anything in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John said, you judge for yourselves whether it's right for us to listen to what God says or to listen to what you say. But we can only say what we have truly seen and heard. So the leaders threatened them and warned them once again, and then they let them go. They realised that they couldn't punish them for any wrongdoing in front of all these people because all the people were glorifying God for what had been done. Now, there was your first attempt and the first example of cancel culture in the Bible. It doesn't really work if there's something real happening. The power base of the leaders of Israel had been massively threatened. So the leaders had to put a stop to Peter and John's preaching to the crowds about the power of Jesus. It's a power game in leadership and politics. But with God, it's a power from above. They couldn't deny the power. The Jewish leaders had crucified Jesus, but that had not stopped the power and authority from working through his name from heaven. They wanted to put down the name of Jesus, and Peter was determined to lift him up. Today, people in the world use the name of Jesus almost as much as God's people. They use it as a swear word. We use it as a word of praise, his name. One way puts him down and the other way lifts him up. Jesus himself had said that if he was lifted up, he would draw all men unto himself. And when Peter lifted him up that day, the Jewish leaders had seen 5,000 people get drawn to Jesus before their very eyes. So I'm just going to say another wow. Jesus said to a man called Nicodemus, a prominent Jewish leader who came to visit him one night, he said these words to Nicodemus, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. It's in John 3.15. Nicodemus had come to acknowledge that Jesus was indeed from God. Nicodemus said to Jesus, no one could do those signs if God wasn't with him. And Jesus went on to say to Nicodemus that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. Jesus knew that Nicodemus was a learned teacher. And Jesus knew that Nicodemus would be very familiar with the story of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. That's an interesting story. Nicodemus would have been thinking, here's a comparison. Everything would have come to him as a teacher of the Torah, the Word of God. Because that story is in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, about Moses lifting up the serpent. And it describes how the Israelites were journeying through the wilderness after being freed from slavery in Egypt and they grew impatient. They began complaining against God and against Moses, expressing their discontent with the food and the water in the wilderness. They even said, and we hate this boring manna. So God sent poisonous snakes among them to punish them. Here's a little lesson. The snakes were always living out in the desert, but this time they were allowed in. 
into the camp. Many of them suffered terribly by being bitten, poisoned and bitten, and many died. Then the people came to their senses and they approached Moses, confessing their wrongdoing and asking for help and for God to take away the snakes. In response, God instructed Moses to make a bronze serpent, mount it on a pole and to lift it up high. Bronze in the Bible speaks of judgment. And anyone who had been bitten could simply look at the bronze serpent and be healed. Uh, Nicodemus would have understood the meaning of the poisonous serpents and their comparison, even with the serpent that God allowed into the garden, who poisoned the hearts and minds of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. This man was a scholar. He put everything together and now he had to put everything together with Jesus being lifted up on the cross. So that serpent that came into the garden tempted Adam and Eve to be just like many generations later, the children of Israel, who became discontent with God's provision. And they wanted something that their deceived imaginations told them would satisfy them better. When they came out of Egypt, those people were kidding themselves, imagining that life was much better back in Egypt. They began to say all the wonderful foods that they had, but really they were slaves. They'd imagined a lot of things, and they said it would be better to be back there. Why bring us out here? And that's what darkness can do. It deceives us into thinking, I can have better things my way than God's way. Adam and Eve became discontent. And the soul of humanity was poisoned that day, bitten by the snake, the serpent in the garden, darkness. And from that time forward, mankind has lived with the discontent of never having enough, never having enough meaning or purpose in life. That is a poisoned soul. And the snakes came in and did that to Adam and Eve and for all of humanity. That's why our soul needs to be saved. Jesus took the place of that bronze serpent. That bronze serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. When Jesus is lifted up, in our hearts and in our minds, he heals our souls from the poison of the darkness that deceives our minds and our hearts. And he gets rid of the snakes so that in trusting him, we can be protected from evil. What a beautiful picture Jesus painted for Nicodemus. He put history together in front of Nicodemus's eyes. That's what the word of God does. It puts markers of truth through history to say it's the same story for humanity and for God. All the people had to do in the wilderness was look at the serpent. They didn't have to dance about, didn't have to offer sacrifices. They just had to look. For us, this means that we simply perceive with our mind and believe in our hearts that Jesus has taken away the judgment of our sins, the old bronze snake, and given us his life to heal our souls. Heal our souls from what? All the wrong choices that we've made that caused us so much suffering and anxiety. 
I mean, it's not so much all the bad things we've done, it's just the things that we did out of not being informed about what to really do, lacking the wisdom that only the Lord can bring into our minds and lacking the faith and the hope and the trust that only Jesus can put into our hearts of faith and that the Holy Spirit can reveal to us as being true and real. Soul of humanity has to live with all of that stuff and it all gets put in the soul. When we start to look and the snakes are not allowed in anymore and we start to recover those things and see them in the light of they've been totally forgiven, all of that's behind. I'm now bonded to a new kind of way of meaning and life. I've got new choices to make. I've got a grace that just brings me forward, moves me along. It's not so much these difficult willpower choices, it is something that now I've got a new desire in the heart. Where did that come from? That's lifting up the name. That's turning your eyes upon Jesus when the things of earth grow strangely dim. So Nicodemus would have got the picture. He would have seen it all. He would have seen Adam and Eve. He would have seen darkness enter humanity. He would have put it together. He would have seen Israel complaining, discontent, just like Adam and Eve. He would have seen them making wrong choices, just like we do. And he would have known we don't have a chance without somebody to actually bring something true into our hearts and into our minds. And not only that, to live with us in our hearts. Because he said to Nicodemus, unless you get born from above, you're not going to have this eternal life, this age-to-age life. There's a different quality of life. It lifts you above the things of earth that bring the dissatisfaction. They look good. And not all of them are bad, but they're just not the best. It diminishes who we really are. Our true self, it diminishes that. And our soul shrinks. Jesus said to Nicodemus, whoever believes in him will not perish. That word is apolyomai. He will not perish, but have eternal life. God's life. Zoe life. Spiritual, God life, not bios only life, bios, human life. You won't perish. Perishing, a polymine, has got a range of meanings from wasted, ruined, not fit for purpose. It's being stuck in a life that lacks meaning and purpose here on earth. That is being lost and destroyed. It can also mean destroyed. The opposite of perishing and being lost and destroyed is being found and saved in Jesus, in our souls. Our souls now become rescued and saved and transformed. And we turn our eyes upon him and these things then don't crowd our life out and rob our lives from meaning and purpose or cause us to have shame and guilt for all the wrong choices. God says, look, I knew and before you were born that you'd make wrong choices, but I had a provision for you. I had a life, I had truth, I had grace, I had faith. He put it all together for Nicodemus and he did it to us. Jesus also said to Nicodemus, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him would be saved. So we don't have to look at a serpent or a statue or anything else. For us to look at Jesus means to fix and focus our hearts and minds upon him.
as the highest one who came to be with the lowest ones. So our souls begin to be healed. Our minds humbly ask God to reveal to us who Jesus is. We're going to do that today as we sit and turn our eyes upon him. And so we ask him to reveal who it is, this Jesus who loves us and died for us and desires to live within us. Our hearts wait in surrender to be drawn closer in a loving relationship with him. So as we sit in his presence today, we will ask for the things of earth to grow strangely dim. Will you do that? So I want you to see a picture of you walking down the trail and all the things of the earth crowding your mind and you see a room, beautiful room, and through the window you can see Jesus and he says, come on in. You don't have to knock. You can go in and sit with him. But what you've got to do first is just ask the things of earth to stay outside. Will you do that? And, and then we sit with Jesus and we turn our eyes of faith upon him. Now the things of earth might tap on the window. They're outside, but they want to come in. But you can close the curtain, pull down the blind and ask the Holy Spirit to help you hear from Jesus. Just ask him to help you in your mind and in your heart. And he'll tell you who he is. And you say yes. Thank you.